Matters here on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn at iProperty Radio or indeed email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon, and I'm delighted to be joined by Graeme Murray, Regional Director of Sherry Fitzgerald. Graeme, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Carol. Um, it, uh, since since you joined us on the show last, we have moved from audio to video and audio. So we can <laughs> see that that like ourselves you're still operating remotely as well um yeah I, I, like every other estate agency in the country the offices are closed so how, how are things for sherry fitzgerald at the moment well i think things are, are are well in terms of i suppose if you're looking at the market and, and a trading point of view i think there's all the other aspects around people's well-being and health and all that so i think we Obviously, as a group, we do as much as we can to keep our teams together and working away. But I think from the property side of things, things are like obviously with the restrictions coming in, they're a little bit more challenging. But we are still able to go out, view and inspect properties when they want to go to the market, measure them and get them onto the market. So that's certainly certainly a huge benefit to those people looking to buy and move forward. Um, the challenge has been obviously the virtual viewings uh, only. And again, given the circumstances, it is the right thing to do. Um, so we can only do virtual viewings and then proceed with sale agreements and closings as well. So that's certainly been a challenging aspect to it. Yeah, Graeme, you and I spoke on air here probably about six or seven months ago. And yeah. at that time, you know, at, at that time, I, I really remarked on the resilience of estate agencies up and down the country to very quickly work uh, through IPAV and the SESI, you know, to work to put together uh, HSE approved protocols. Um, you know, the, the training for estate agents, the prospects glass going into offices, you know, there were huge changes made very quickly that required investment in technologies to um, to facilitate remote viewings, you know, to to comply with all the protocols, you know. And now here we are in early 2021. We're in our third lockdown and each lockdown has been different. So level five doesn't mean what level five meant when you and I spoke last. No, um, and it's actually, yeah, it was, it was funny. One of my colleagues commented to me, God, well, if that's the worst, now we know what the worst is and we can deal with that. And then we got our level five and it had another nuance to it as well. So we kind of figured that last level five, we continue to do it. Or, or like even with the offices closed, we'd work fully remotely and still be able to do viewings in a very controlled environment because our viewings are very controlled, as, as you rightly point out. So we'd have one viewer every 15 minutes and that has changed but i think look given the rates of spread at the time certainly this year it's it's been the right thing to do but we again we adapt we move forward and, and the market remains incredibly resilient a lot of it is driven by a shortage of stock in the marketplace so while we are bringing on a reasonable amount of property you're still finding that it's not anywhere near enough there to meet the demand from the buyer side and i suppose that's what's remained strong people are in the last lockdown were buying on the basis of virtual viewings but actually again they're doing exactly the same thing again and probably because they're much more used to this now before mm-hmm. uh, i was kind of making a comment there like a number of years ago 12 o'clock back 10 years ago not even that long ago two three years ago 
you wouldn't be agreeing a property to somebody who hadn't actually seen it or had a, you know, a family friend come along and inspect the property for them. Whereas now it's, it's completely different to that now. And people are happy to, to do that. Both vendors and buyers are happy to agree and move on to the next stage again. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. Over the last number of years, we have been chronicling the, all of the technologies that have come in to make the property transaction frictionless, seamless and very much remote. So the capability was there and it has been there for a number of years. But the culture shift, you know, definitely within the last 12 months, um, the culture shift has been, in to my mind, a much bigger shift than the technology shift across the property industry. Because again, the, the mentality, the mindset of people, it's completely changed. And in fact, we're, we're the current level five lockdown restrictions as they pertain to property, having, you know, having to sale agree a property before gaining mm-hmm. access just seems like something that two, three years ago would have been inconceivable. How yeah. are buyers, and, and actually, you know, it's one thing for investors. You know, they're used to buying through online yeah. auctions. They're used it's to, different, yeah. <coughs> excuse me. But um, say for inexperienced buyers, uh, first-time buyers, you know, this is the biggest, most important transaction and decision that they're going to make, the most expensive that they're going to make. How are they adjusting to having to make such a big commitment without setting foot inside the property? Yeah, I, I think when you look at maybe first-time buyers, as you brought up there, I think what you find with first-time buyers, they're incredibly resilient and incredibly enthusiastic. So you probably have a whole cohort of first-time buyers who are maybe back living at home, saving lots of money. And obviously, this has been very difficult for a whole part of society, but there's another part who have all, you know, it hasn't been a massive impact in terms of incomes and their ability to save. So you do have a group of first-time buyers who are now living at home, mom and dad again, or with the in-laws, and that was maybe not the plan, but it is what it is and they've been saving so when the opportunity comes along i think to look at property or see something that they know that they can move to if you have take the new homes market like when they have a release of properties to be fair the three-bedroom semi is very similar to the next three-bedroom semi on the row um so from their point of view it, it kind of makes a lot of sense you know what you see online is pretty much what you're going to be getting um, with second-hand properties, absolutely, there can be some nuances to that. But I think with first-time buyers, they maybe either grew up in the house that they're looking to buy now, they've, they're currently renting in the same development at the moment, so they know the houses actually incredibly well. Um, they're probably within their 5K, and they can walk around, have a look at it from the outside, things like that. So I think from their point of view and looking at the homes, I think from their point of view, they're looking forward and just going, look, it is what I want. There isn't a huge amount of choice out there. If they were also, we had an incredibly busy run in the first few weeks back in January because you had a hangover of buyers who didn't purchase in the last quarter and then saw what they saw again, went through Chris and go, right, you know what? I'm not waiting around any longer. I'm very happy with what this particular property is and they're moving forward. And again, it's interesting just starting even to, to around first time buyers and property types. Like it's not always about houses. Like I sent to a colleague of mine and have this very nice apartment, two bedroom. And we thought it'd all be about the trade down market. And actually, it turns out first time buyers leading the chart is right beside a lovely big open park. So the lifestyle choice and being part of a secure community is a big difference for them now as well. So you often find it's the first time buyer market is actually incredibly resilient and incredibly enthusiastic about moving on to the next stage and the next chapter. 
That that's actually really heartening. Uh, could could part of the speed? I understand that there are buyers who are or intending buyers who are ready, you know, and yeah. and they're just waiting for the right opportunity. Mm-hmm. But is there an element maybe of people who have secured uh, mortgage approval and they want to make sure that they buy within the period of their approval? Is that driving demand? Yeah, you'll have a, a like everything. I think what a market is made up of one component is made up of a number of different factors and components that drives the market. So there's certainly an element there of, of people who are possibly moving towards the end of their uh, approvals who are just keen to kind of now purchase and move on. Um, so the mar- mortgage market and the people's ability to purchase certainly plays an influence on how quickly people are willing to move right now and into the market as well. But I, I do think that ultimately it is about the stock. And I think people have seen over the last year, the market was very resilient. There is considerably less property on the market now so if you're making your choices and i think because what covid in my opinion what it starts to do is from a property side it just compounds your reasons to move so if you were looking to move last year for a home office a bigger garden or go to something a bit more right sizing and something a bit more compact that hasn't changed and in fact you're you're that probably that presence around you has made you want to move that bit quicker so if you have a family and you've got kids and you need an extra room and you need an extra garden, that's only been compounded by COVID reasons. So I, I don't see any reason why people kind of be holding back in their purchasing decisions. And I think the mortgage market is 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 competitive. There's plenty of lending going on. That's what, I, what certainly our financial advisor would tell us and what we see on the ground as well. So again, no reason to be holding back. There's a few really interesting trends to unpack there in what you're saying. Um, I wonder, just given that, Sherry Fitzgerald has such a large share of the residential market in Ireland. You're likely very well positioned to um, be able to look at, at trends at a very mm-hmm. early stage and identify them long before maybe they're they're felt in the marketplace. And um, yeah. so in terms of changing buyer demands, whether it's first time buyers or indeed people trading down, I think you're absolutely right. As in COVID has shown us maybe sh- some of the shortcomings of not just our current homes, but actually some of the interior design trends that we've seen yeah. in terms of open plan. You know, it's great for a family that only comes together for two or three hours in the evening. Not so great for having two professionals trying to do different jobs with ongoing yeah. Zoom calls and two or three kids homeschooling. Everything at the same time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I, I mean, look, there are some design trends that, that I do believe are, are likely um, to to become longer term uh, after after COVID, and I think that that's an mm. interesting one. But can you tell, you know, maybe from some of the buyers that you've been speaking to, uh, are there buyers that you were speaking to maybe this time last year that mm. are proceeding now, but their requirements have changed either in terms of being in a much better position financially because they have been living at home, not renting, yeah. therefore more savings. But they also might have a different idea about how they want to spend their money. Yeah, like it, it is interesting. Like it was funny. I was just I'm just thinking about some pals of mine who are actually moving at the moment, and uh, you know some of their requirements have moved and, and have changed along the way. And actually, it's interesting you brought up the whole uh, open plan living because actually friends of mine who were going to knock through and have the bigger space have decided not to do that, and they're going to have two good sized rooms, but that they can close off then from each other then as well to allow for this the way we you know, could very well be living in the future. Because actually, 
for this particular couple of England, they both can work, work remotely and there's no rush to go back into the main offices now. So they don't see that changing down the line actually as well. So I think requirements over the last year of what people have looked at have shifted. Like you could have started at the beginning before COVID. So back in January, February, you were going in, you were looking for you know particular requirements. And then all of a sudden you're kind of going, you know what, actually I don't want to live smack bang in the city. I would like to live further out. It could be a lifestyle choice. And I don't mean like living all the way out, out in the country or something like that. I just mean that you could decide that you want to live closer to parks, the seafront, um, these various different things that people now look at and go, you know what, it's so important that you're able to get you know, out and about, have more space to, for the kids to play or ourselves to get out and about and enjoy. So I think lifestyle now plays a huge, huge factor uh, to how people are committing with their purchases going forward. And you've definitely seen a shift in that. Having said that, you'll also see people who were buying, and as I mentioned, the apartment one was just a prime skin. You think, oh God, the apartments people don't go to. They're selling and selling incredibly well, and actually not always to whom you think they will be, because the factors for apartments can also be that over the last number of years, they've built them in very well-settled areas. So you can't get the house you might like, but you know what? You can get all the amenities, you can get all the facilities, but you're just in a slightly different housing product. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting one as well, because you know, certainly for buyers, the, the primary advice would always be to get the right area first mm. and then it's the right property. And, and then it's all of these other things that make up your wish list. But actually, if the area isn't right, what we know from people stuck in very large homes in, you know, commuters that have not proven to be great in terms uh, or the commuter suburbs, mm. you know, we know that the it's never about the property it's always about the area and that's that's a real truism um we we learned it persevered through the last crash it'll persevere through covid and i think it, it's really a standing requirement but what i'm particularly interested in when i'm looking nationwide at, at the markets you know we we spoke with ronan Lyons last week following the publication of the rental report um mm. and it was really interesting to see some of the trends you know and we looked at the likely impact of um of the ongoing restrictions on the delivery of new homes into the market for 2021 20, uh, 20, uh, and 2022. But for my mind, just from speaking to estate agents right around the country, yeah. the sellers of second-hand homes seem to be a bit slow to come forward. And it seem, it's not because they don't want to move, it's because yeah. they think there's no active market out there. How have they gotten it so wrong? Uh, I, I think there's always there's always a lot of information floating around, and I think the property market's one of those certain areas where there's loads of information, uh, and sometimes there can be a disconnect. And I think the way the property market moves, a lot of the information that we do get can be a little bit slower than the real-time information. And as you point back, given the size of Terry Fitz, we probably noticed a lot more of these trends coming coming that a little bit sooner. So. It's quite interesting when you look at the market, like we we would always, and like if I was on a personal basis, if I was, would I sell right now? Would I put my home to market right now? Yes, I would. Because what I'm seeing is, is that the shortage of supply is mean, meaning that, you know, buyers are getting good prices at the moment. There's definitely going to be more property coming to the market in around the 5th of March and beyond that. So I suppose if I was looking at this and going, right, you know what, the biggest obstacle for a lot of people is one, as you say, not realizing maybe how vibrant the market actually is at the moment and what's actually happening with it. But I think if you just go around as a buyer right now, you can go on to the different property portal sites and actually see. And if you're registered, you just don't see that many updates coming through of new properties. So 
you'd be kind of going, right, I want to move, but I have so little choice to, to move too. So I'm not going to put myself or my family or whatever, maybe under pressure to make that move right now. And, you know, okay, with the virtual viewings, am I comfortable or not comfortable with that? But I think what will happen is if you are one of those buyers who does need to sell their home, um, whether it's trading up or trading down, I think now is the right time because more property comes and then you're going to be competing with mortgage buyers, they're renting, they're cash buyers, they're ready to go. And all of a sudden you're then that back in that circle then trying to sell and get ahead of those particular buyers. So I think for me, that type of buyer that or seller and then going to buyer is the right time to be doing things right now. So it's really about us trying to communicate with our buyers and our sellers and giving them as much factual information that we can about the amount of sales that are happening, the good prices that are being achieved at the moment, and then getting themselves into the best possible position to take advantage of when the new homes come out, secondhand homes, when they come onto the market, that they're looking to buy, that they'll be in a good position to purchase them because they will come. It's just we're a little bit on that time lag at the moment. And there's a variety of reasons. Like we have clients who are elderly and they just don't feel safe about putting the house to the market. I've got I've got a particular couple I think again think of now. They just want to get their vaccine so they can start that process and then move it on again because they're definitely moving. Um, and then you've got the whole cohort then of just can't find there's not enough stock out there at the moment. But markets move really quickly and turn very quickly. And what we know from the last lockdown is that, like all agents, we had a huge stock of houses waiting to come to the market for vendors who were ready. And it'll be the same thing again. So there will be a lot more property coming on. And we know that the market kind of almost took off. Like we did five months trading in three months last year. Like it's incredible. So like, I, I think that's exactly what's going to happen here now. It won't be seasonal. We'll come out of it and it'll just continue all the way through again for as long as, as, as we can get the stock to the market. Great. That's great advice for people who are, might, might be thinking of selling. Um, it, it's a good note of advice to finish up on. That was Gray Murray, Regional Director of Sherry Fitzgerald. We need to take a quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Now, welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter or at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. I'm now joined by Craig Mulcahy, CEO of Construction Boss. Craig, you've been with us before, but that's a good 18 months ago. A lot happens in 18 months. You're very welcome. Yeah, yeah. It's been a very quick 18 months, I have to say. And I feel like time is flying by at the moment. But uh, no, it's great to be on the show again. Great. Well, Craig, remind people, um, because the last time we spoke, you were still in startup mode with Construction Boss, and that's Construction BOS. Mm. Um, so you were still very yeah. much in startup mode, but I, I understand that that's moved on a bit. So maybe for the benefit of listeners um, who missed you the first time around, you might just explain what Construction Boss is and what it does. Yeah, so so what we do is um, we're a cloud-based CRM built specifically for construction companies. Uh, we work across Ireland and the UK. Um, we're kind of niche in a certain way that there isn't really any people out there doing specific construction CRM configurations. So our skill set is quite unique, but we also have um, strong partnerships with CIS in Ireland and Barbara ABI over in the UK who supply construction data to uh, construction companies. And uh, we tie in and integrate with those construction data providers, making it uh, quite seamless for them to, to use our CRM. Very good. Uh, actually, the last time that you were, on, you were on the show, I think you had just actually kicked off um, that that uh, CIS integration and obviously CIS is such a, 
is such an integral service here in Ireland for construction mm. companies. Um, so you you might just talk us through the actual benefits as in how how your software sorts through the information. Yeah, I suppose like our, our relationship with CIS has probably been going on for about four or five years, even in the past companies that I was in. So we actually set up their initial CRM system that they used to, to manage their sales process as well. But um, when we first started working with them before there was APIs or anything to work with, um, we were basically taking their, their data off sheets and importing them manually into CRM systems, which was a huge laborsome task. Um, but now what we've developed is basically a web app called Construction Boss Fusion. And what Construction Boss Fusion does is it effectively takes data from CIS, from your data provider. So if you're subscribed to a certain data set, so say it was just Republic of Ireland data, all that information will be displayed in our web app. We take it one step further. Our web app sits on top of any CRM system. So not just our own CRM system, but any CRM system. So what we were having, what we were having a lot of a lot of the time is we were going into clients. They were really liking what we were all about, what we did, but they might have already heavily invested in, in in cloud systems. So they might have already heavily invested in Microsoft Dynamics or Salesforce, and they just didn't even want to go there with with with, with switching. And um, so we we thought maybe rather than challenging them and trying to get them to change system, why not work with them? So that's where Construction Boss uh, Fusion kind of came from. So that sits on top of Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics and, and lets you integrate with your construction data. Uh, there's a really good startup lesson in there. You know, one of the things that we've noticed across the, um, more so the prop tech rather than the pure construction tech, we've really seen maybe a lack of willingness to come together. So what you end up with are a lot of disjointed solutions. And unfortunately, the marketplace yeah. doesn't want that. So actually, it's not no. always the best solution wins out. It's definitely the most convenient or whoever has their foot in the door uh, when it comes to any sort of investment. Because chances are a company will have spent many months, if not years, uh, deciding what course of um, digital transformation, you know, what what software is to, to include, how that yeah. works. And we'll have already issued training. But where, I, I suppose, in terms of your business model then, how did that impact on that? Yeah. I mean, it, it, we're kind of fortunate with COVID to a certain extent because because there was probably a lack of work. Uh, when COVID first came out, people were afraid to spend money. We were afraid to spend money as well. Uh, we weren't taking on any staff. We were doing salary reductions. We were doing the same as everyone else was out there because there was uncertainty. No one knew what was ahead. But it was actually a great time for us because it really fo focused our, our efforts into going, okay, what can we do during this period? And we decided, okay, we're going to develop this new web app. We've got lots of time to do it. Let's see if we can do it. And um, that's kind of where it went from there. It's just kind of growing legs, pretty much. It's a never-ending story, effectively. Well, look, that's that's generally the nature of um, innovation. You, it, it never ends, actually. I, I think that that is maybe, it, it's one of the joys and one of the values of it, but it's also one of the points of frustration, actually, for companies who are a little bit stuck in their ways or who might have a very uh, large number of uh, people they need to get through in order to make innovative yeah. projects happen um, or come to life. You know, it just... Th that there is no end date, that actually the cycle continues because yeah. it is an iterative, an iterative uh, process by design. Mm. Um, but over well, the last 11 months, you know, how how have you seen the traditional industry? Um, because you're very well placed, actually, maybe to look at mm -hmm. firms 
that would not be hugely innovative, but perhaps understand the value of um, of your system separating data that actually feeds into their business development goals. So therefore, it's a priority. Um, so in, in terms of the 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 construction industry, I'm sure I would have asked yeah. you that question the last time, but I'll ask it again. You know, where how big is the gap between the traditional players and those that have actually embraced more innovative solutions and that are, you know, increasing their reliance on technology? It's 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 huge. And like we were we were in a fortunate position that, you know, because you're a startup and you're small, you can pivot, you can change your business quite quickly. And you can just, you know, everyone's in the same room or everyone's, you know, at the end of a phone call. With bigger companies, you know, making changes quickly just doesn't happen. You can't do that sort of thing. But the positive side of COVID is it forced a lot of these businesses to change. Like a lot a lot of businesses that we deal with are still managing on pieces of paper. They're still managing on spreadsheets. They've got uh, out-of-date stock management systems that uh, anytime they want something changed, it's going to cost them 10 grand. Um, so it's it's really forced their hands to go, okay, we need to do something about this. A lot of the, the, the other, t- what we're seeing as well is in a lot of the companies, the construction industry is a little bit older. Um, there's not as many young people going into sales roles and kind of um, young engineering roles in construction companies. It is a lo- an older workforce. A lot of the people, you know, that are coming out of college because of the way Dublin is based and the way Ireland is based, they're going to tech companies. Uh, they're going to Salesforce. They're going to Microsoft, Google, the Amazons. That's where they're all going. So um, what's happening now is the construction industry, from what I can see, is uh, it's very old. Uh, but that's going to change um, drastically, I'd say. You know, you've hit on two really important points Um you know, yes, it's it, an aging demographic in this. And by the way, I never associate age with innovation. I always believe if you're innovative at 18, you'll be innovative, you know, well into your 80s. That's just, it, it's generally more mindset. And I've seen people, you know, in their first five years out of university that really struggled to learn, new, you know, a, a new way of doing things. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I agree that it's an older population. However, you know, I, I think that because there's an entrepreneurial mindset there, that usually comes mm. hand in hand with an innovative with an innovative mindset. But there are just challenges um, if the tech looks overly complex. But actually, when you break it down, yeah. if you separate tech and innovation, I actually think the construction industry um, at an individual level is quite innovative. Just technology. It's not shown through technology, and that's what needs to change. And I think maybe that's why it's been a laggard in the past. But in terms of the new generation yeah. coming in, I mean, the CIF and certainly, um, you know, through apprenticeship schemes and some of the larger players in the traditional sector, they've really tried to position construction as um, a, a good future career option for people with an interest in uh, data science and technology and you know, different roles that maybe weren't associated with construction before. So I think that's really interesting that you're finding people with those skill sets, even though they're badly needed in construction, they're not coming into the construction industry. That's a bit of a disconnect. No. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And I think the people that do come into it are coming in by mistake, or that's, that's, that's generally what's happening. Listen, our integration with CIS is kind of like the first step. It's what gets us in the door. It's what gets people interested in what we're all about. 
what we're really about is, you know, transforming the way that they do their business. So moving them away from spreadsheets, put them on a cloud system, helping them out with marketing automation, switching their stock management systems, giving them an advanced kind of reporting tool to work with and, and giving them kind of less complicated ways to do project management. A lot of the time, the companies that we're dealing with are fine on the sales side. Where I'm seeing a lot of companies struggle is actually on the doing of the work, which might be, you know, if, for example, say you're a window company and uh, you had external fitters to fit your windows uh, and internal fitters, it's managing that process of how it gets done efficiently. And especially now during COVID, how do you get that done when no one's in an office? So that's 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 the big question that's getting asked of us at the moment and something that we're kind of, kind of trying to solve. You know, in a way, that's almost back to the very core function of contractors, mm-hmm. which is project management. You know, sometimes that gets lost um, when you when you look at the construction industry through too wide a lens. You forget that actually the core yeah. skill that a contractor brings is the project management and the ability to bring people in on projects, manage them efficiently, yeah. to get the best. So essentially, mm. um, you know, the 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 process is worth more than some of its parts. And that's a core project management skill. But in terms of the technology, you know, I get it if people are still using, you know, um, you know, uh, pens and paper and and, uh, old school databases like that. But how are those, how are those businesses continuing to win tenders? You know, the procurement process has become so difficult over the past decade. You know, how, how is the market not weeding out people who aren't keeping pace and firms that aren't keeping pace because there isn't that many people that are, are keeping pace from what i'm seeing and what i'm going out and doing even in these large companies that i'm going into they're they're not keeping up with the pace at all um and it's 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 evident really um i don't know how how, how you switch it to be honest but to be honest i think project management systems that are out there that are cloud-based are too complicated and you almost need a degree in project management to even get your head around it. And then if you're a smaller company as well and you want to get your head around it, you need to employ someone that's, you know, good in project management. I really think we need to make it simpler and easier for the end user. That's 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 our biggest thing. It's okay, taking out what are the milestones, what are the tasks, when do they need to get done, who needs to do them. That's it really. We don't need overcomplicated Gantt charts. The only time Gantt charts ever get used is to win projects. That's why I kind of find but no one actively sticks to their Gantt chart. Um, yeah. And people that do, I, I wouldn't believe them, to be completely honest. Um, but I, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not sure how, uh, yeah. how, how, how we force change more, more than anything. You know, that, that's a quite a disheartening view. You know, could it be, because I work through PropTech Ireland, we work uh, through uh, d- uh, digital construction. So we're probably seeing... The, the people who are not just uh, living up to best practice and delivering best practice, but actually the probably we're probably seeing the people who are setting best practice. So from that point mm. of view, do you think maybe I am a little skewed in in my my uh, judgment as to how far along the digital transformation journey the majority of the construction sector in Ireland is? Yeah, well, definitely, I would say the prop tech sector is ahead, but the construction sector is 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 behind. Uh, and if they have implemented systems, they haven't been implemented properly. Um, like one of the biggest issues with implementing any sort of cloud software is 
there's no such thing as really off the shelf. Um, if you want something off the shelf, then you better be prepared to set it up the right way. Because if it doesn't get set up the right way at the beginning, then it won't get used properly. Um, so a lot of the time what's happening is people are buying off the shelf software and expecting them to fix the problem straight away. But really what you need is um, someone with a certain key skill set to come in and set it up for your business and understand your business. Uh, and I think that's really important. I think one thing that we kind of try to say to people is, listen, you have to move to the cloud because if you don't, all that information that you have, is you're, getting, you're losing it with someone. So it's, it's all stuck in someone's head. It's stuck in someone's computer. Um, it's, 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 it's just a no-brainer to move towards it. And yeah. it just makes it so much easier. If, if someone's leaving an organization uh, for someone else taking on someone else's role to kind of pick up the breadcrumbs of where it's at. Yeah, I, look, it's a huge point of vulnerability. And I think uh, traditional firms themselves know this. I, I think they understand where they're vulnerable in terms of key staff members. Um, Craig, in terms mm. of construction, boss, how active are you outside of the Irish market? Yeah, so 70% of our business is now in the UK. It's very much our key target market at the moment. And um, there's more appetite to spend there. Deals seem to close a little bit faster. I kind of feel in Ireland, you can kind of... Uh, get kicked down the road a little bit with, yeah, yeah, we'll look at that, but uh, m- maybe next quarter, next quarter, give me a ring. They're just not, they won't give you a hard no. Uh, I think, I think any, any startup listening in today who's actually trying to sell in any solution for the built environment will be nodding along to that. It, it, just in terms yeah. of decision-making, it's slow. Uh, but then, so you have a really good sense of, you know, where Ireland sits, you know, even in terms of the UK market. Yeah, uh, we're we're behind the UK market for sure. Um, we've always have been behind the UK market. We kind of copy whatever they do. That seems to be the trend and it hasn't changed at all. Um, but I am seeing some companies, um, definitely, you know, the likes of um, Manic up 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 in Cabin. They're 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 making massive digital trends. They're they're a great company. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of work with them at the moment with their with their CRM systems. Um, but they're, they're one, one company definitely to look at as an example of someone that's doing some really good um, digital transformation at the moment. Yeah. So it's then, not all doom and gloom for me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. Well, look, tell us about your pipeline for 2021, because obviously, you know, back in, last September, I don't think we could have imagined that we would be here still under these heavy restrictions in February. So, I mean, how is that impacting? Because Construction Boss is still a relatively young business. You know, how is your pipeline yeah. for 2021 looking? Yeah, I suppose at the end of last summer, what, what we did, what we decided to do is we started working with a telemarketing company in the UK and we kept it niche. So they were a telemarketing company that specialized in selling into the construction industry. They had no experience of selling SaaS-based products, but they're... they're their kind of people that they worked with were the same people that we wanted to talk to. We were also really, really fortunate that they were also partnered with CIS and Barber. So they knew the exact sort of people we wanted to get. Uh, so we started doing a few campaigns with them and uh, listen, a few really, really good leads came in. And through our own kind of outbound marketing and leads coming in from CIS and Barber ABI, uh, we, were, we actually managed to have a very, very good, strong pipeline by the, by the end of Q4. And um, January, uh, January this this month, two thousand twenty-one, not this month, last month. Jesus, my brain is not working fully at the, the moment. Year, was the our year best is month flying. ever. <laughs> Everything's a fuzz at the moment, but uh, no, January was our best month ever. So, um, which has been fantastic. Uh, we're growing, 
uh, quite a lot at the moment. We've got four new people starting um, probably by the end of March, it looks like, uh, with another four probably to start uh, by, by the end of summer. Um, so they're kind of jobs mixing across kind of customer onboarding to um, software development to sales jobs. So, no, it's, 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 it's been good. Um, it's been a long time getting there, but um, yeah, it's nice to actually break even and start moving forward. Yeah, look, um, startups, they're, they're not for the, for the faint of heart, but um, look, that, that's the nature no. of it. The only thing is there's a lot of potential in this industry because there's a lot more that still needs to change. So continued yeah. success to yourself and the team there. Uh, that was Craig Mulcahy, CEO of Construction Boss. We'll be back after the quick break. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Now, welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Now, I'm now joined by James Morris Manuel, Managing Director and Vice President of Europe, Middle East and Africa at Matterport. James, thank you so much for being with us in what is a very busy week for Matterport. Hi, Carol. Yeah, it's been a super exciting week here at Matterport. And thank you very much for having me on the show. No, I'm delighted. So look, first of all, because Matterport has been in the news quite a lot this week, you might just uh, maybe talk us very briefly through the activity that's happening. And by the way, I'm aware that it's still ongoing. So maybe share an update, um, share an update where you can. Uh, absolutely. So, I mean, the headline news is that uh, Matterport uh, are super excited to announce this partnership uh, with Gore's Group to take Matterport public. The transaction you know, will give Matterport the opportunity to really fuel the full capacity and potential of the company's growth. And um, you know, the proceeds of the transaction, Matterport's going to be able to like, scale up our enterprise business um, to fuel adoption across all of sort of real estate, all the real estate verticals. And it will also help us fuel our international growth. So, you know, we're a very large business in the US, but we have a very fast scaling uh, team and business in EMEA as well as in APAC in Singapore. So, Excellent. Well, look, that, that's fantastic to watch. Obviously, through PropTech Ireland, we've been watching with interest over the last number of years um, as PropTechs, there aren't that many PropTechs going uh, through to IPO and going through this SPAC model um, is a really interesting one to watch. So I know that things are still ongoing. We won't get into it too much, um, but I think it's a really interesting stage. We'll definitely be, be watching it closely and best of luck to all the team there. Uh, I, I'm sure that um, with that excitement comes a certain amount of stress as well. So, so uh, best of luck to the team there. But just in terms of um, Matterport success. I mean, now Matterport is a household name, but how, how old is the company? When was the company first established? So the company's been running for 10 years. And what's been great is we are, you know, definitely the leader in this space. And, you know, with the recent announcement, it's just going to help us fuel that leadership position uh, and continue to grow the business. But just maybe explain to people, um, our audience uh, tends to come from the planning, construction, property and prop tech sectors, you know, taking in engineering. And, you know, we're seeing Matterport being used maybe in a different way now than, than we might have expected four and five years ago. So maybe talk us through some of the core services. Absolutely. So. The, I think the best way to think about Matterport today is as you know a spatial data company 
that's really turning a building into data. So we create a three-dimensional digital twin of any building that you can access, explore, manage uh, from any device anywhere. And you know, by making every space more kind of valuable and accessible, it really takes helps take the property industry, which is traditionally a very analog industry, and helps transition this industry online. Um, and in terms of how it can be applied, you know, around 50% of our user base is in the residential real estate market. Um, and then the other 50% is made up of new verticals that we're actively uh, going after right now. So some other use cases that are, are very interesting is architecture, being able to capture what's there now so the architect can take a digital twin and start to design their next, uh, the next phase of refurbishment or the next model of that property. Um, one of the other big verticals for us is construction. And we, we know that construction, uh, most construction sites reserve about 10% of the cost for snagging at the end of the construction process. And Matterport can very simply be used to reduce that snagging process. So by capturing on a, a weekly basis, you can capture the job site at the end of each phase. And so you can catch uh, snagging issues earlier, but you can also see who's accountable for those snagging issues. So for example, someone breaks the water pipe, you can see between the models, ah, the water pipe broke, broke on this week, and the only person was in this week was actually the electrician. The air conditioning people hadn't come in yet. So you really know how to address the snagging and see who, who created the issue, if that's the way, uh, if that's something that you need to see. So architecture, construction, we're seeing a lot for facilities management at the moment as well, being able to really see what's in the portfolio, but also what's inside the data. So one of the uh, things we're working on now is object recognition for different items within the property. So. If, you're, if we're in a residential home, we can see how many doors are in this property, how many windows are in this property, what's the square footage of the floor, but what's the square footage of the walls, um, how many light bulbs are in this property so that you can plan for upgrades. So you can really, and we call this the building IQ, and it's really giving facility managers the ability to see with more transparency what's in the portfolio so they can uh, manage more effectively. Um Okay, thank you, James. That's a really interesting one because obviously uh, Matterport would be probably best known for the work in the residential side. Um, so it's really interesting to hear. It makes absolute sense in terms of the architecture side. I mean, digital twins, you know, this is this is a concept that's been around for a while, but I, I think the, the significance is just being recognized now by the industry and not just by the industry, but by insurers and by funders and by all of these other people who would have had to uh, go through a whole supply chain in order to get the same information, to provide the same protections, to understand the values um, in as tangible a way. So it's, it's a really interesting one. But I'm very aware that you're coming into quite a traditional marketplace. Um, so how has that transition been? Um, so say, for example, coming in on the construction side and snagging. Um, you know, snagging is one of those things that's seen as has to be done, you know, a, a cost that's going to be accrued. And if you come into a traditional um, contractor and says, 
say that we can we can uh, um, eliminate this. How convinced are they? Do they understand the need for it? Are they convinced that your software can do that? Yeah, we have. Well, there's a lot of uh, construction companies that are using us today. And uh, Multivista, which is one of the large construction documentation companies, use Matterport extensively to, to help for this particular this particular piece of the construction process. And it goes all the way through. I think one of the things you touched on, which was really nice, is we talk a lot about the property life cycle. And, you know, the, the media can be used the whole way through from, you know, architectural uh, design to the construction phase to the sales phase. And then if you're selling it to an investor, they might then rent it. And again, how do you insure it? You know, what did the property look like potentially before it burned down? So what's lovely about the Matterport Media is it can really be a thread through the whole property life cycle and, uh, and can be used at many different phases. Yeah, so. I, I think it's a really good way to think about the digital twin of a building is that it is another real asset. Um, you know that that it's so it, it it's an asset in and of itself. I, I'm aware that you know your your work remit um, takes you across Europe, Middle East, Africa. So you're in a good position, maybe to to evaluate where we are on the tech spectrum. And look, this is a question I tend to ask almost everybody that that comes on to the show because I'm I'm genuinely interested. You know, I'm so aware that when we're uh, dealing with um, the leaders in tech adoption in the industry, you know, there, there's a danger of us thinking that the the industry has moved on more than it has. Um, similarly, when we see the government uh, mobilise to put in place strategies that really support digital build and, and all manner of innovations and sustainability um, goals for the built environment, it can make us think that Ireland is perhaps in a more leading position that, than it actually is. Looking across the built environment, you know, right across Europe, uh, Middle East and Africa, because you're kind of uniquely in a position to do that. Where are you seeing where are you seeing kind of the the tech leaders in this space? So. I mean, that's a broad question. The. The simple, I think the simple headline, you know, is the value of the media. So if we talk about traditional residential real estate uh, for sales, leasing and marketing purposes, you know, we've got case study that shows houses with a digital twin, a Matterport digital twin, sell 30% faster. Um, and not only do they sell 30% faster, we also have case study that shows they sell for 10% higher price. So you know, that's a value that the industry just, in my opinion, just can't ignore. The leaders in the market um, obviously driving the way. So, you know, when we talk about commercial real estate, just to touch on it for a second, Cushman and Wakefield, Jones Lang LaSalle, CBRE, Colliers, you know, all four of the big commercial real estate companies use Matterport extensively on the portfolio. Uh, in Ireland specifically, Daft, which uh, has been around for you know 20, 30 years, has got Matterport integrated deeply in the website because they know their innovative agents or forward-thinking agents want to be able to deliver that level of transparency to the consumer base. So we're seeing, we're, and I think that's a good example of you know a very strong influential portal 
recognizing that the Matterport digital twin is vital to the future of how properties are, are represented uh, in Ireland. So we're seeing a lot of adoption. I think the other part is most companies have definitely recognized now that the way they've done business in the last 10 years will never be the same. And it will not be the same in the next 10 years. So they've all got a level of digital strategy in place of how they're going to take their business forward. Um, and if they don't, they need to do that immediately. Uh, so I think they've all got a bit of a digital strategy in place of how they're going to move the business forward. I think you know, Matterport is a big piece of, of that uh, digitalization strategy. And COVID, I think really when COVID came in the last 12 months, that put a lot of pressure on the uh, residential real estate industry to really get serious about some of these changes. And, and we see it, we've seen it time and time again in, in you know, recessionary world where, you know, margins get thinner, you know, the market gets a bit tighter and companies have to take, take a step back, take a moment for introspection and think, how am I going to do business going forward? How can I cut cost? How can I be more time sensitive? How can I be more efficient with my processes? And tech is really, you know, a big answer to the majority of those questions. Mm -hmm. So I think most companies had a digital strategy in place uh, of how they're going to move forward. But I think COVID really exacerbated that and has forced the subject. And uh, now I think most companies are moving forward with a view that, you know, digital twins and a Matterport model is going to be a core part of how they uh they go to market in the future. Yeah, I, and I think that's an interesting one. You know, you identified um, really the core part there is creating value that the industry can't ignore because obviously that's a really good way to overcome resistance to innovation or te technology of any sort. Um, what I'm really interested to know, I mean, can you separate maybe some of the trends that were already well in play prior to covid um, because, you know, we've heard it said, and of course, there's a huge amount of truth in it, that um, the pandemic has accelerated some of the, you know, many of the trends that were already in place. But since February, March 2020, you know, are you seeing any new trends maybe that are feeding into potential new verticals, um, but that came about on thought of the pandemic? So... I think there's two there's two ways to answer that question. Uh, the first is there's not many. We're not seeing new trends when it comes to residential real estate. We're seeing a little bit more of an accelerated trend, but the, the main trends were there because the value you can't ignore. Um, so as COVID has come in, yes, it's increased adoption uh, a little bit, but actually it's kind of just got the, the the middle of the market and the late adopters to really start to pay attention faster. But the actual implementation of what they're doing hasn't really changed. I think if the, the trends where we have seen change due to COVID is, you know, back to school. You know, we never thought would be in a world where, you know, schools had to email all their you know, parents and say, this is how we're going to bring your child into a COVID safe school. And by the way, here's a Matterport model of how we're going to set up the school and set up the classrooms and one way workflows and sanitization stations. And so that's, I mean, that's wow. something that was a, a market that was never there, which has appeared because of COVID. 
And are schools actually doing that? I haven't come across that at all. That's a really interesting one. And I, I, I think it's amazing, actually, uh, you know, now that you now now that you tell me about it, uh, I've never heard of it. I think it's a great idea. But how great would that be for, um, you know, for kids moving schools, for kids just starting school for the first time? You know, these are great ways to reduce anxiety as well. There are just so many potential applications. But are, 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 do you know off the top of your head, are any schools in Ireland doing that? Off the top of my head, I can't give you an answer, but I'm sure there will be. It's it's not a it's not a niche trend. It's a fairly a fairly big trend because you know schools are being really held accountable and they've got to communicate to their parents in the clearest way possible, which is very hard in in the you know in the in the new world. So there will definitely be schools in Ireland who are doing this. Um, we, we've seen schools across the whole world doing it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to talk to some of my uh, school teacher and principal friends about that because I think that's a really interesting one, but I, I see it having application far beyond the pandemic, actually. I, I think it's a great idea. And before we finish up, obviously we touched on, um, you know, the, the huge changes going on at Matterport at the moment, which are very exciting. Uh, but in terms of innovation, you know, is there anything kind of coming down the track? What what are your expectations for 2021? So lots, I mean, lots of expectations for 2021. Um, we think that this is going to be, you know, the best year we've had as a company. Uh, we're super excited with the, with the new announcement. And it's just going to, you know, fuel our, our growth. You know, as we kind of invented this category uh, for the built world of, of digital twins, it's really how can we lean in? How can we grow as fast as possible? Um, and one of the big things uh, that's on the map is something called Cortex, which is our artificial intelligence and machine learning engine. And giving, giving that more research and development for us to really recognize objects. So at the moment, we can do a lot of this already, but how do we take it to the next level? Is, is the question here. So for example, uh, the artificial intelligence engine now, because we have 4.4 uh, million uh, properties captured on the Matterport platform, we both have the 2D data and the 3D data. So you can imagine that scene, a bedroom numerous times from different angles in different properties. So now when a property goes through uh, the Matterport system, we can identify and label, this is the bedroom because it has a square shaped object, you know, I'm simplifying, oversimplifying yeah. a lot, but so our artificial intelligence engine is really going to go to a next level of some of the things that it's capable of doing. Um, the other piece that we're very focused on is the platform itself and plugging in different kinds of platform providers, whether it's virtual staging um, or special uh, other functionality that can be that can sit on top of the 3D data. So expanding our platform partners is a, is a big part as well. Exciting time, James. That's great to hear. Thank you so much for being with us today. That was James Morris Manuel, Managing Director and Vice President of Europe, Middle East, Africa at Matterport. That's it from us this week. Thank you for listening into Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can get in touch with the show via social media and, of course, emailing hello at ipropertyradio.com. Also, my thanks to Peter Rice on Sound and show producer Katie Tallon of Hear Me Roar Media. We're back at the same time next week. From myself, Carol Tallon, and all the team here, stay safe.